All right, so if you weren't with us last week, <clears throat> we finished Romans. We're done, we're done with that. And now I have to back up. So uh, go with me. We're going to do a little journey of history today uh, as we prepare to jump back into 2 Corinthians. But I'm literally taking you all the way back where we were September the 6th. 2020, a year ago, over a year ago, we began <clears throat> talking about the introduction to uh, 1 Corinthians at this point. So we had got to our point in the book of Acts where Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. That ended us at chapter 19 of Acts, verse 20. And at this point in history, we know that the Emperor Claudius died on October the 13th, 54 AD. That's history, world history. So the next emperor of Rome that comes in is the evil, anybody know? Nero. Nero comes in and he serves for like the next five or six years as the emperor of Rome. Now, let me show you on a map the areas that we're going to talk about today. You can see, I'll use this map over here so everybody can know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you look to the south and you see the Sahara Desert, that's obviously Africa. That's one continent. And then if you look to the right of the Mediterranean Sea, you can see where Jerusalem is and everything north of that, Galatia and Asia in the purple there. That is Asia, the continent. And then when you get over to Macedonia and Italy, that's actually Europe in our modern day map. Now let's zoom in here, Jim. And this is actually the, the third missionary trip of Paul, who is basically the history of the first church, the early church. He's taken this third missionary trip, and currently he is in Ephesus. If you look to the southwest side of Asia, you'll see Ephesus right there on the Aegean Sea. It's a port city. And if you go directly north, the top of Asia, you're going to see the city of Troas, and we get to that in today's study as well. But if you look in the top left corner of Macedonia, you'll see the cities of Philippi and Thessalonica, obviously the churches that he wrote letters to, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and Philippians. So he talks about getting to Macedonia. And then if you go directly south of that, you've got Greece, which is Corinth at that time. You see Athens there and Corinth there on the left side of your map. So this is really what the churches that Paul's dealing with as he's on his third missionary trip and going through, and he's establishing churches. There's all sorts of chaos that's going on in each of the churches. Some of them are doing really, really well. Some of them are struggling. So now Paul has to begin to deal with that, and he's one person. He's one dude. He can only do so much. But he loves deeply. And he cares deeply about the body of Christ. And so we get to this point in the map. 
Paul's in Ephesus. We left off in Acts 19. He's casting out demons and doing miracles and all sorts of things, and the word is spreading. But Apollos, he comes from Corinth, basically across the Aegean Sea right there, and informs Paul of all the stuff that's happening in Corinth while Paul is in Ephesus. Paul's doing his ministry there. Things are going well. But Apollos comes and he bears some like bad news. So Paul literally sits down and he writes a letter to the church at Corinth. In our Bible, this is not 1 Corinthians. It's actually a first letter that he wrote that we can read 1 Corinthians, we can read 2 Corinthians, we can read Acts, we can read up Paul's other letters, and we can formulate that there was an initial first letter. There's actually four letters that were written to the church at Corinth, and we only have two of them in our scriptures. So this is the very first letter, and we know that Titus went to Corinth with the letter. He says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. When Titus went there with the letter, Paul had encouraged him, hey, start collecting the fund for Jerusalem so that we can take to them and give them the relief that they need. So now in the spring of 55 AD, Chloe visits Paul. She comes to Paul in Ephesus from Corinth and tells him about all the division that is occurring. Now, (laughs) I'm not picking out that specific issue. But obviously, division is something that has happened throughout Scripture. Division is something that happens today in our world. It is a simple tactic of the devil. In that song that they just sang, he talked about isolation. If we can isolate, if we can get people alone by themselves, what did they do? They think. When you're by yourself, all you can do is think. When you go to bed at night and you're maybe sleeping with someone, but you're literally by yourself and you just think before you go to sleep. You're in isolation. And when we think, all sorts of thoughts go through our head. And we have to be able to divide what is true What is feelings, what is emotions, and what is not true? It's a big deal. So why wouldn't the evil one want to divide us up into smaller groups of people? Division is simply a tactic. So Chloe's come now to Ephesus explaining to Paul there's all sorts of division. The house churches are thinking differently. They're They're operating different. They're treating people differently. So Paul begins to write what we have as 1 Corinthians. So he gets through like the first four chapters, and he's almost done with his letter. You have to go back September 6th through January to learn about 1 Corinthians. We've already covered in here. I'm just kind of backtracking today. He says in the first four chapters, I dealt with Chloe's questions and issues, but then there were three more men that came to Ephesus and said, here's the rest of the deal. We got one dude that's like sleeping with his mother-in-law and won't quit, and we don't know what to do with him. 
they have all sorts of sexual immorality going on. They've, they've got pagan gods that are getting in there and some false teaching they can get in there. And then they also bring a whole list of questions that they ask Paul. So now Paul continues 1 Corinthians 5 through the end of the letter. And that's where you have to go back and study. Now, in the meantime, all this is happening. In the meantime, Nero lifts the ban. He lifts the bans on Jews and allows them to return to Rome. So that means now all of a sudden the Jews can go into Rome. The gospel can go into Rome. And they can tell the Gentiles about what Jesus has done. Paul, like, as soon as that ban's lifted, he begins to, like, send missionaries in. He wants to establish the churches there with the Gentiles there in Rome, and he allows them to start trickling back in. Remember last week at the end of Romans, which is written after this time period, I went through, like, 26 names and use my phonics. Those were the same people that Paul sent to Rome at this point to begin house churches. So at the end of his letter of Romans, he's literally thanking them and saying, don't forget these people that we sent out as missionaries to Rome because Nero's lifted the band. So then he, Timothy returns to Corinth and he takes Erastus with him. And Timothy tells Paul that his letter, 1 Corinthians, has been rejected. Now, as a minister, as a pastor, to pour your heart out and to invest in people. And you've asked questions and you've given an answer and Paul's literally taken days, maybe even months to write this letter. And he sends it and then he gets word like, yeah, they ain't buying what you're selling. That hurts. I mean, you, you can imagine the hurt that Paul's going through. And you know, Tragically, what's happened here in Corinth, there's a strong-willed brother there in the church who basically defies Paul's apostolic ministry, his authority that he has, and basically says, Paul's a fake. Whatever he's selling, I wouldn't buy. So upon hearing that, Paul just makes an urgent, impulsive trip to Corinth. But it turns out when he gets there, it's extremely painful for him because they have rejected him. This strong-willed man has like gotten everybody to be opposed to what Paul is teaching. So, and, and, and here's, here's the real issue is no one, no one stands up and defends Paul. No one there did. So Paul quickly returns to Ephesus, and he's angry. He's deeply humiliated. He's hurt. I'm assuming that he's probably questioning what he's been teaching. Like doubt begins to creep in. All these things. He comes back, and he feels totally defeated. But he still wants to go back to Corinth, to fix it. That's like the flesh. You know, your flesh, you want to go back. If you got defeated, you just want to go back and you want to like tell them the truth. You guys, you got to figure this thing out. So in his haste, not necessarily going back, <clears throat> he writes a pretty sharp letter. 
I mean, he calls them out directly. It's like the third letter now after it's the first letter after 1 Corinthians, but the third letter that's actually written to the church at Corinth. We don't have this letter. That's the second letter that we don't have. It was written in 55 AD based upon what we gather in all the other letters that this occurred. And he wrote it to the church at Corinth, which at this point is like five years old. Five years old, they begin to get stories and they begin to like spread what they're talking about and things like that. And Paul's returned with his anger and he just writes this letter that is full of anger and calling them out. It's just a sharp, sharp letter that I'm sure was probably written with his flesh. I, I, I get it. I get it. And they, he, he literally asked the church to prove it's his love for the, their love for the church that they need to like discipline this man that has like called him out, that's setting things apart. Like you need to punish this man. He's, he's ruining the truth, the gospel. And as soon as Titus goes off to Corinth with that letter, guess what? He regrets writing the letter. He hit the send button. There was no retracting the letter. The letter was on its way to Corinth, and he began to feel bad about, oh gosh, was I so harsh on them? I didn't show them grace. Everything that I'm teaching, my flesh came out. Just, you know how the power of sin does. It worked on Paul, I'm sure, too. So now let's, that's all occurred based upon what we've gathered in reading. You're not going to sit here and read what I just told you in the Bible, one specific section. That's literally something that has to be pulled out through all the different books. And there's a, there's a great book, it's, I believe, uh, I know Dan uh, Green has read it. It's the, the, the Untold Story of the New Testament by Frank Viola. And he's done a great job of just laying all this out. That's where I'm pulling a lot of this information. But it's all backed up with Scripture from the different places, so you can piece this together exactly what's happened. We get to Acts chapter 19 now in verse 21. We're caught up. It says, After these events, Paul resolved by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia. Remember where Macedonia is, top left corner, and Achaia, and go to Jerusalem. After I've been there, he said, it is necessary for me to see Rome as well. He wants to go to Rome. This is actually the first time in his letters that he says, I want to go to Rome. After sending to Macedonia two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Asia being Ephesus right there. Now, there's this opposition that was rising up in Ephesus. This is now June 57 AD. We've fast-forwarded two years. Paul's plotting his next move. This is what I want to do. I want to go to Macedonia. I want to see all these people, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, and Corinth. I want to get to Corinth because it's just chaos over there, and we need to correct things. And then he's planning on taking the relief fund from all those churches to Jerusalem. Verse 23, it says, 
About that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. Do you remember in the 70s? There was uh, one way, that whole... What, what was that? It was called, What was it? The, the birthday guy, how old are you? What was it? Jesus is the way. Isn't that what the, the big marketing scheme was back then? Huh? One way Jesus. Well... That only came from the scripture. It's the way. About that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. In my Bible, it's capitalized. For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who had made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. When he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, Men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost in all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hand are not gods. See, Paul's influence in Ephesus was causing many of them to forsake their idols. We don't need these idols, but obviously these businessmen were making money off of making idols. Not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis, who is also Diana, may be despised and her magnificence come to the verge of ruin. The very one all of Asia and the world worship. So now, as a result, these silversmiths who make their living selling these miniature statues of the goddess Artemis Diana They're losing customers. Verse 28 says, When they heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So now Demetrius has got these Ephesians all worked up. He convinces the silversmith that Paul is hurting their business and then discrediting the temple of the great Diana. Upon this hearing... Uh, there's almost like this mob mentality that begins to take place. Verse 29, So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed all together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. So now this protest is bleeding all throughout the city. You understand how that works, right? Causing a massive uproar. The protesters move into this Ephesian amphitheater there, which holds about 25,000 people. It's a lot of people at that time. In a ranting rage, the mob seizes these men. It says, although Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. Paul's like, I'll, I'll take care of this. But they're like, no, you, you, you can't go in. Even some of the provincial officials of Asia who were his friends, sent word to him, pleading with him not to venture into the amphitheater. Just stay out. Paul's wanting to go in there to confront the mob, but the Ephesian believers are preventing him from doing that. Verse 32 says, Some were shouting one thing and some another because the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. (laughs) People were protesting, and they really didn't even know why they were protesting. Some Jews in the crowd gave instructions to Alexander after they pushed him to the front. 
Motioning with his hand, Alexander wanted to make his defense to the people. So the Jews from Ephesus wish to disassociate themselves from Paul. So they have a Jew named Alexander come up and speak on their behalf. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison about for about two hours, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. When they realize that, that Alexander's a Jew, the crowd shouts for two hours, two hours. Verse 35, when the city clerk had calmed the crowd down, he said, people of Ephesus, what person is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great Artemis and of the image that fell from heaven? Therefore, since these things are undeniable, you must keep calm and not do anything rash. For you have brought these men here who are not temple robbers or blasphemers of our goddess. He's literally saying, they really haven't done what you're accusing them of doing. So if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a case against anyone, the courts are in session. And there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it must be decided in a legal assembly. Like, there's a legal way to do this rather than the mob protesting mentality. In fact, we run a risk of being charged with rioting for what happened today since there is no justification that we can give as a reason for this disturbance. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. Wow. Some things never change, right? Some things just never change. So after several hours of mayhem, the town clerk, I don't know how he did it, but he calmed the mob down and suggested that they have a complaint against Paul that they do it in a legal way. And he dismissed them. So here it is. It's at this point in Paul's ministry where he probably drops to the lowest point. Here's a guy who's like given up his whole life teaching and sharing the gospel and going literally around the world, almost dying at times, being beaten at times. And everything's kind of like caving in on him. Everything that he's done, everything that he's spoken for, everything that he's lived out is falling to pieces. The plots of the Jews have severely tried him. He goes to even a point, the opposition from the Ephesians, he describes them as wild beasts. He does that in 1 Corinthians 15.32. We've already discussed that. And he describes himself as being pressed out of measure, despairing even of life. Like, I don't even have a life in me anymore. And having the sentence of death upon him. These are things that throughout his letter describes how Paul's feeling. And what you have to know, the backstory during this time is Priscilla and Aquila they're risking their necks for this apostle. And back in Colossa, and Epaphras is planted three church, 
One in Colossae, his hometown, one in Laodicea, and one in Hierapolis. That's all laid out in Colossians and Philemon. So at the same time that Paul's feeling at no worth, there's ministry that has been established by Paul that is happening. Yet he can't see it because of the despair that he's in. Then Paul gets ready to leave Ephesus. Before leaving Ephesus, Paul sends for the Ephesian believers to get together. He's he's secretly calling them together. They've had this ruckus in there. Now he's calling them together and he's like, I want you to be encouraged. I'm getting ready to leave to go deal with other issues, but I want you to stick together. Obviously, we know the evil one uses division, and that's what he's doing here, but you guys stay focused on what is the main thing. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Stay focused. So he has this secret meeting. He goes to Troas, which is up north. And all of a sudden, Paul is just given this open door to preach a gospel, and he plants another church in that city. It's pretty good, right? It's a good thing. It's positive. It's encouraging. Okay, things were falling apart in Corinth. Things were falling apart in Ephesus. We go up to Troas, and man, you get to plant a church. (laughs) But what does the evil one do? The evil one keeps Paul unsettled in his head about the church in Corinth. He's still concerned about, gosh, what is going on there? How, how do I fix that? How do I fix that? That's typical of a pastor mindset. How can I get in there and be a part of that? So now he's trying to find Titus because Titus has a word of what's going on in Corinth and find out how the Corinthians received his severe letter that he regretted, regretted sending, the, sending to him. I, I, what, what was the fallout from that letter? He can't find, can't find Titus and Troas, so now he goes on up to Macedonia and begins to find Titus. <clears throat> he sets out for Macedonia, and he's looking for him, and as Paul travels he begins to fight fears with his own heart. Again, this power of sin is just crushing him. He receives opposition. He could have stayed in Troas where everything was good, everything was positive, things were happening, he had opportunities to preach, but he was unsettled. How do I fix this? So he goes through Macedonia. What does he do? He goes to Philippi, he goes to Thessalonica, he goes to Berea, and he encourages the saints. That's just what Paul does. That's part of his ministry. He's telling each of the churches to continue collecting funds for Jerusalem because they need it. I'm going to go through, and I'm going to come back and collect it, and then I'm going to take it to Jerusalem. So as Paul is traveling through each one of these cities, the Holy Spirit's revealing to him believers that are just encouraging him, don't go back to Jerusalem, because if you go back to Jerusalem, they're going to put you in prison. What else could go wrong for Paul? And then we get to Acts chapter 20. 
verse 1, it says, After the uproar was over, this is the uproar that was in Ephesus, Paul sent for the disciples, encouraged them. That was the secret meeting that he had. And after saying farewell, he departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had passed through those areas and offered them many words of encouragement, those were the churches, Philippi, Colossae, and Berea, he came to Greece and he stayed there three months. So now, finally, Paul finds Titus in Macedonia, and Titus has good news from Corinth. He's finally found him. Paul's severe letter had been received by the church in Corinth. And the Corinthians repented and took action. They literally took action against this man. The church disciplined the man who defied Paul's spiritual authority. But it was a pretty extreme discipline. That happens in churches today. You know, we live, as a New Testament church, we live in a period of grace, right? Like, you live in a state of forgiveness. Christ died once on the cross, and he forgave you of all your sins, past, present, and and future. You realize you live in a state of grace, right? I realize that you're going to mess up. I realize that. I'm going to mess up. You've got to give me grace as well. So we live in a state of grace. But sometimes the church wants to like put the punishment on them and discipline them. In this situation, that's what the Corinth church was doing. They were like majorly, they punted this dude out and weren't letting him in. So Titus tells Paul that the church treated him with great respect and humility. Titus was treated well by the church at Corinth. He also tells that the Corinth is slacked off in collecting their money. Paul's comforted by this report, and he begins writing the next letter. This is 2 Corinthians. We actually have this letter, and this is what we're going to be studying in the next few weeks. So now, Titus has told him all these things about Corinth, and Paul literally sits down and begins to write this letter in 2 Corinthians. Regrettably, some of the Corinthians were still following the false gospel that was being presented there. But many had begun to listen to what Paul was saying. There were these super apostles, as Paul would describe them, that would come in and they would still say that Paul wasn't an accredited apostle, that he really wasn't an apostle. He really didn't have authority to do this. Paul can't be trusted. He's not a man of his word. He doesn't even give you the full Bible. He, he doesn't give you the law. He doesn't do this. When Paul preached this, he didn't tell you the full story. Paul's exploiting you by asking you to collect money for this supposed relief fund. They brought all these things against Paul. And he sits down and he pins in 57 A.D., a letter to the church at Corinth. We'll get into that in the next few weeks. So here's my takeaway from this story. I've literally had two friends this week 
that have been dismissed by their own ministries. Both of these men posted on Facebook about their situations. Both men experienced opposition based upon theology and practice. One was a pastor of a church. The other was actually established a ministry 27 years ago, ran it, turned it over to other leadership in the last three years, but was forced out of that ministry this week. It's going to happen. Division is a practice of the evil one if you haven't figured it out yet. Division starts small, and it weeds its way into the very thing that is experiencing growth. It's exactly the tactic. It happened in Acts, happened in Corinth, happened in Ephesus. Why wouldn't it happen here today? Division is a tactic of the evil one. Our flesh, for these men want to respond just like Paul did in his third letter to Corinth. Like, I'm so angry about all the work that I've invested in these people. Forgetting the fact that God did the work. But I understand the investment. I have an investment in you. It's a big deal. And although there's much fleshly satisfaction in hitting the sin button, we often regret those harsh words. We, we want to draw them back. Been there? Done that? Right? We then come to the realization, just as Paul did, that it's not our place to defend ourselves. I think my flesh would immediately want... You, you attack my integrity and my flesh goes off. Sorry, that's one of my buttons. But I keep reading scripture and it's like, Rusty, you don't have to defend yourself. God said he would do that. Well, hurry up and do it. <laughs> Because if you don't, I'm going to help you. <laughs> and I'm sure that's exactly what Paul was saying. That's what my friends are thinking. But here's what I say. Is keep teaching the truth. Stay focused on the main thing. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Lord. The truth will always win over the darkness. The truth is greater than the secondary discussions that are happening around us. Stay focused on Jesus. My identity is in Jesus, not this ministry, not Leavener. If it goes away, it goes away. If it gets divided, it's not my deal. I know what the Lord has done. I know what the Lord will continue to do. 
It's not about the ministry. It's Jesus alone. Jesus alone. Father, uh, to say that we can take a 2,000-year-old book and not make it relevant to our lives today is outrageous because the evil one is the same today as it was back then. He uses the same tactics. And so today, I'm going to trust you with your word. I thank you for Paul's experiences. I thank you for Paul's just, just being honest, just being a real man that was passionate about his ministry, passionate about loving you, passionate about telling people about you. My heart beats with Paul. But Lord, I trust that you are in total control, that you will continue to protect, provide, show us uh, what is truth. And I pray for my friends. I pray for... um, Joel and Walker, that they just be encouraged today. That they are good men with a passionate heart for ministry. That you would keep them focused. That you would show them more doors that are open and opportunities that abound for them in ministry. I pray the same thing for this group right here, that we can see the open doors, that we can see the open ministry. I, I thank you for my friends that are around me that continually encourage me. But Jesus, we know it's about you alone, and that's it. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.